Welcome to Chit Chat Money. My name is Ryan Henderson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brett Schaefer. Today is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst to discuss a single stock or industry. And today we have on the show, Nick Seipel. He's a senior analyst from Motley Fool Canada, and he's talking about Dexcom. Uh, we really enjoy having Nick on the show. He's a multi-time guest at this point, and we have just similar investing philosophies in general. Um, Dexcom specifically was a pretty interesting business. It's not typically where we focus. And so kind of just, uh, I think having sort of a, a fresh topic or a fresh industry was, was fun to look at. But before we get to the interview, we want to talk about our sponsor, which is Stratosphere. They are our exclusive sponsor and they are our investing home screen for fundamental research. They have a dashboard that lets us track all of our investments. Um, it has SEC file aggregation. It's got a bunch of fundamental charting tools as well as company-specific KPIs. And they just added employee count for companies as one of their tracking metrics, which is really nice. When we look at businesses, we like to look at revenue per employee to kind of measure productivity. And now they have that in the platform, which you can easily track and it dates back as long as they can find the data. So um Anyway, it's it's a really it's a really cool tool and and we recommend using it. We use it ourselves. Check out stratosphere.io. It's totally free or you can upgrade to a paid plan with the code CCM which you'll get 50, 15% off. Um one more time that's stratosphere.io. If you're more interested in the platform, stick around after the episode we do a little 3-minute interview with the founder Braden Dennis. But without further ado, here's our interview with Nick Seipel. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, welcome in everybody. Uh, today we are joined by multi-time guests. Now I'm not sure how many times you've been on. What three or four? So be my third third time. I talked to you about uh, GameStop in I think 21 last year. Talked to me about WWE, and and here we are That's in 2023. Right. That's right. And today we are talking about Dexcom, which people who watch the Super Bowl may now know what it is, but I, I, I think maybe a lot of the investors aren't familiar with the company. So we'll get into all that. Um, but I guess maybe can you explain, and I should mention that Nick is a senior analyst for Motley Fool Canada. Um, feel free to, we'll link to his, his Twitter and everything um, and, and some of the Motley Fool Canada work. Um, but uh, now that the intro is out of the way, can you talk about, I guess, how you came across Dexcom as an investment to begin with? Yeah, sure. So uh, Dexcom is a recommendation in, in Motley Fool Canada as of October of this year. I've personally owned it going back since 2017, first came across it. You know, I was in law school at the time. One of my roommates, uh, his girlfriend was living with us. She's a type one diabetic who used Dexcom for for uh, her treatment. Also at the time uh, in 2018, there was a presentation on Dexcom at the Capstone Student Investment Conference at Alabama, which is where I was in law school at the time. So I came across it a couple of different ways, one in the kind of personal uh, aside, another on the, the investing world. Um, 
And so uh, that, that's kind of where I first got exposed to it. And, uh, you know, the stock has been a great story going back uh, the, the past five years or so. And I, I think there's there's lots of room for growth here going forward the next five, 10 years. Yeah. And it's just anecdotally, I'm seeing it more commercials, people in my life, stuff like that. So it seems like it's getting traction. We're going to get to all that and the trends. But first, what does Dexcom do? What problem are they solving in the diabetes market? Yeah, so so Dexcom is a provider of continuous glucose monitoring technology. If you think about what that is, it's a small subcutaneous sensor that that you wear on your arm or your belly that can, gives you continuous glucose readings every five minutes, um, rather than sticking your finger, which is the traditional uh, glucose treatment method, which you would have had to do that 288 times a day to get the same kind of results that you get uh, with a continuous glucose monitor. It's really been the next uh, uh, standard of care when it comes to diabetic treatment. And just for folks to, you know, set the stage on what diabetes is, uh, lots of folks know folks who have, uh, who, who are, who have been diagnosed with diabetes with a background of disease has no known cure as many folks are familiar with. It's, it's caused by inability to properly manage glucose uh, for a type one diabetic, which is about 10% of the market. That's a con congenital disease that develops often in childhood. And it means your body just doesn't produce any insulin at all, which means you're entirely dependent upon insulin therapy to, to live your life as a normal person. A, a much larger portion of the market, about 90% of diabetics are, are type two diabetics. And that develops much later in life because of, of poor and a dietary and, and exercise habits, just to give you some, some context on the size of the diabetes market. International Diabetes Federation estimates as of 2021, there were 537 million adults globally diagnosed with diabetes, expected to grow to $783 million by 2045. If you look at global expenditures on diabetes, $966 billion um, as of 2021. So lots of money getting spent on diabetes treatment. And that's because complications from diabetes can be very expensive. Um, if you run your glucose, uh, your, your, your glucose, uh, uh, your blood sugar too high, then you can have some really significant complications. Think about limb amputations, um, uh, kidney failure, really extreme, um, uh, extreme complications. But uh, on the other side, if you run your glucose uh, too low, your blood sugar runs too low, you may, you may fall asleep and not wake up. So the complications of, of not managing diabetes properly are incredibly expensive, which is why you've had lots of demand for, for uh, previously finger sticks to, to manage diabetes and now continuous glucose monitoring. And that idea of needing to stay in in that you can't go too high because that causes harm and you can't go too low. That's really where, where CGM uh, um, comes in, because rather than getting just a handful of uh, of finger uh, of readings throughout the day, when you prick your finger, you're getting hundreds of readings throughout the day to be able to, uh, uh, to uh, accurately uh, determine when you are in the in the proper uh, uh, glucose range. Another thing that, that that's important to mention, too, is that every individual is different when it comes to their responses uh, to glucose, what what drugs you're on, how much you exercise uh, um, can, can impact how your body uh, responds to blood sugar. And so that's why you really need to, to have accurate readings throughout the day in order to uh, to properly manage diabetes. And that's the technology that that, that Dexcom has through, through CGM to, to help manage that. And and you may have mentioned this, I might have missed it, but this is it's connected to like an app on your phone for the monitoring. Yeah, that's right. So so you'll have the sensor that that goes on, uh, like I said, that you wear on your arm, and then that 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 is changed every 
10 to uh, 10 to 15 days working towards um, 15 day wear. And then that that all that uh, sends uh, a reading to a transmitter. So you can either have a separate transmitter, which which you know, Dexcom provides or more increasingly, you'll you'll have that reading sent to an iPhone or, or, or your Apple watch in order to to manage your um your uh, treatment throughout the day and kind of keep uh, keep track of your glucose throughout the day. Also, uh, um, for type one diabetics and folks that are on intensive insulin management, these are folks that need to get regular injections of insulin throughout the day. Over the past several years, really starting in 2018, um, you, you've see, started to see automated insulin delivery where your uh, continuous glucose monitor, whether it's Dexcom or other folks on the market can communicate with your insulin pump if you're a type one diabetic and automatically dose insulin based on your needs throughout the day, rather than having to kind of be directly um, uh, for you to actually have to, you know, to punch in the buttons of, of, of how much um, insulin to administer. So, so yeah, it talks to other, other devices, whether it's your phone or, or if you need to, can talk to some of your other uh, diabetes management uh, devices as well. Makes sense. Okay. What now, what is the, I guess, are they the only player in the industry? What does the competitive landscape look like? And then what, um, I guess, advantages do they have over other peers? Yeah. So lots of different players in the space. You've got really large healthcare conglomerates, somebody like Medtronic. You have some smaller kind of uh, focused CGM players like Sensionics. Um, but the the two biggest players really are Dexcom and Abbott Labs. If, you've, if Abbott Labs has their, their freestyle Libre product, obviously Dexcom is their G6 is getting ready to launch their, their G7 product. Those two together control the majority um, of the market. Um, how Dexcom differentiates itself from others on the market is a they're the technology leader they have been um the leader when it comes to accuracy for for a long period of time obviously important when it comes to uh you know concerns about if you're if you're uh, if your insulin goes too low can really have some catastrophic um impacts they've also been kind of the at the forefront of, of emerging technology so i mentioned the icgm came out in 2018 is be able to talk to your automated insulin delivery uh, uh, systems dexcom their g6 was the first one of those um, approved onto the market um the past couple of years they have um they have uh, gotten one of the first fda approved apis for having their uh their cgm data go talk to other partners out in the market whether that's garmin or, or tandem in, in the diabetes care uh, uh space um also, um, also again, uh, as far as kind of moving, um, moving research forward, moving the market forward, uh, one of the things we'll talk about later, uh, uh, probably, is that there there was an FDA rule change um, in October that's going to expand CGM coverage beyond insulin-intensive diabetics to anybody um, who has had a history of, of hypoglycemic events, which is low blood sugar events, the types of folks that you know can make you. Uh, pass out and fall asleep. Um, that that coverage was um, was expanded, or there was a, a rule change put in put in place in October that's going to expand um, that coverage. To anybody who's had a history of, of hypoglycemic events, and the the um, the research that that informed that rule change was, was Dexcom's research. So, a they're the technology leader, you know, David Gardner likes to say for the lead husky, the the view never changes. They are one of those when it comes to um, that side of the market. And then also um, on just the the customer side of the market, they've they've had a strong reputation for just user friendliness that being the easiest uh, cgm to use now part of that is uh they're agnostic when it comes to pumps so you have you have your choice of of multiple insulin pumps if you're a type 1 diabetes uh, uh patient because dexcom has more integrations than other folks on the market they were one of the first or i think the first to offer alerts and alarms um overnight so if you think about it if you're a patient who has a type 1 diabetic or, or a parent excuse me that has a type 1 diabetic patient and you're concerned that overnight uh their di their uh, blood sugar might go too low. They were one of the first to come out on the market with um, with 
alerts that would give you that that peace of mind. Um, and uh, and the, when he looks at ease of use, I mean, their next product, the, the G7 has a 97% of, of customers say it's easy to use. They have their highest ever net promoter score. So on the on the technology side, they have the best technology on the market, but not only that, um, it's the easiest to use on, on the customer side. So um, assuming that you can get uh, uh, get correct, you know, get reimbursement for the insurance payer and, and uh, you know, all prices are, are aligned across the board, um, then, then, you know, Dexcom is kind of the clear choice on, on the patient side. Now, we talked about some of this stuff before the episode, and I think this is a good time to hit it because we are talking about the competitive landscape. There are two risks, I think. One is more obvious that investors are probably seeing if, you know, recently is the Apple leak about um, the glucose monitoring thing they're trying to do. Can you talk about how Dexcon might have an advantage there and why this might not be as big of a deal as news? And then secondly, the new weight loss pills, maybe hit Apple and then the weight loss pills and that potential threat. Yeah. So if you look look out, well, so maybe we can talk about the Apple thing first. So, you know, one of the potential risks you'd say is maybe there's new entrants that come into the CGM market. And then there was a headline in this this past week that Apple has been working to develop its own um, glucose monitoring system, which they think will over the long term, integrate with the Apple Watch. Just um, the thing that popped out to me from that new story is, is that this is technology that's been around uh, before. In the early 2000s, there was something called the Gluco Watch Biographer that, that a company called Cygnus developed, which was a wristwatch that used uh, the same technology to uh, to read uh, to, to for to, uh, to read glucose on on patients, and that that technology worked, but it didn't reach commercial success uh, because it caused site irritation. It, it caused irritation on um, on the patients, and and therefore it, it just didn't um, it didn't scale up. Um, you can also uh, so one I question whether Apple was really uh, bre- breaking new ground here. If also if you look at some of the. Uh, 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 the contents of the article, they talk about the device still being kind of the size of an iPhone, lots of work to do to um, to bring it down to scale. So A, I would question whether the technology is there. Um, but even if even if uh, the technology is there, you have to you know, uh, kind of meet accuracy requirements um, and those types of things. So I think we'd be kind of several years away from Apple getting involved in the market. This isn't the first time uh, the big tech has been has tried to get into uh, the diabetes uh, management space. So Google, with their Verily division, spent a number of years and tens of millions of dollars trying to develop a, a glucose monitoring uh, um, uh, a contact lens, and that ultimately didn't work out. Dexcom has worked in partnership with Verily for a number of years, developing new technologies. So I'm confident that that they're kind of they're not going to get surprised by some new uh, new glucose sensing technology uh, coming around the corner. They actually have a venture fund where they're investing in kind of emerging um, CGM and kind of a, a glucose technology. So um, potentially could Apple get involved out there uh, over the long term? Sure. But I don't think this is some some new technology that um, that the market has ever seen before. Is there, I guess, do you know, is there any switching costs with like a CGM monitoring tool, like, you know, if you use Dexcom and something new comes out, or I guess if you're using Dexcom, does it make more sense to stick with them like that specific provider or does it not really matter? Well, it depends on what type of, of patient you are and like your level of, of, of kind of care, right? So if you're a type one diabetic using an uh, integrated insulin pump, it's probably going to be really hard to switch from Dexcom to another provider just because you don't have the same number of integrations. So if you're on a Medtronic system, for example, you're kind of stuck on Medtronic there. You don't have an option to around to a number of other systems. Also, you've kind of already got your uh, 
uh, your habits in place, right? I mean, if you if you are someone who is dependent on monitor, monitoring your glucose uh, in order for your health and well being, um, that time where you're switching over from one product uh, um, to another is time that you could go without, um, you know, go without uh, uh, treatment. So. Uh, I think there, there are some switching costs on that front. Also, you need to get you need to go through another uh, for many patients, the vast majority of patients, you'd probably need to go through another approval kind of hoops with your insurance company. So I, I think there's a number of, uh, uh, of switching costs. And then, and then lastly, um, if you have the most accurate, most user friendly product on the market, I think that um, that puts up a barrier to, uh, to customers switching to other products as well. And that's what Dexcom has. Yep. And before we move on, let's hit the weight loss pill stuff because I thought you had some interesting ideas there on how that could potentially be a threat and also might be a bit overhyped as well. Yeah, sure. So the big opportunity, just to kind of illustrate the the, the big opportunity for Dexcom. So I mean, looking back over the past ten years, the the company has compounded revenue at, at thirty plus percent, and the vast majority of that has been just this becoming the the standard of care in the in the type one diabetic side of the market. Today, we're at penetration a little bit um, over 50%. Um, and there's still some room for growth in the type 1 side of the market. But the real chunky, huge uh, potential growth out there is what if CGM becomes standard of care for type 2 diabetics? I mentioned that uh, that uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicare uh, uh, services rule change that would potentially increase uh, the addressable market by almost double. Um, there is potential risk that um, that addressable market might not materialize to the extent um, it, it could because there are new treatments on the market uh, for type 2 diabetes that, that may be chosen in place um, of CGM. So, you know, you, you hear all these headlines today about drugs like Ozempic and Wegovi. I mean, Elon Musk, <laughs> celebrities of all kinds are taking them for weight loss. And this, these, these, are, these are drugs that uh, uh, use... Basically, it's a it's a hormone like substance, a chemical substance that increases production of insulin, inhibits uh, a release of glucagon, reduces your uh, basically reduces your diet, reduces how much you want to eat. And by doing that uh, uh, helps helps you lose weight and, and prevent the onset um, of type two diabetes. Now, these these products have just come on the market and, uh, you know, by all accounts have been uh, incredibly popular uh, uh, among folks trying to trying to get access um, to these drugs. But we're still not at the point where these are. The standard of care for treatment of type two diabetes. We're still at the point where we're collecting, you know, data um, on how this uh, on how these drugs perform compared to to other treatments. There are potential side effects. Whether it's just obviously this is changing how your gut and your your dietary uh, kind of uh, habits work, and uh, so that can affect your kind of um, digestion and things like that. And then long term. You know, uh, this is this is uh, changing how your your pancreas works. So, um, so you know, increased risk of pancreatitis and cancers and things like that. So, potentially over the long term, uh, uh, the, these drugs could cut off that like long tail of, of type two diabetic um, customers. But it's still we're still kind of at a wait and see point. And what I will say is, um, to actually treat the the condition that causes type two diabetes, uh, to change your habit is to really treat what's causing. Um, what's causing the, 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 the disease. Um, I, th I think these pills now customers really, patients really enjoy having to just take a pill and not have to actually do the work, but these are the types of things that I think are, are masking, um, the underlying disease as opposed to, to curing, um, the disease. But, you know, uh, to the extent the market accepts these, then, then it will cut off a lot of the, uh, or could cut off a lot of the growth potential in type two diabetics. How does 
uh, how does Dexcom sell their devices? Are they selling like direct to consumer? I know they ran a Super Bowl ad, which I feel like usually when I see those, I think it's sort of a consumer, uh, a direct to consumer model in some way. Or are they selling like through physicians? I guess how do they how do they get their devices to market? Okay, so I think the answer to that is is yes. You can buy it direct to consumer, but most of the uh, of the sales are happening through the the primary care physician. You get a prescription and you go buy it in the pharmacy channel. Now that's been a big shift the past five years or so. It, it had traditionally been sold through the de- durable medical device channel. This is you, you go to your endocrinologist, you go to your specialist, and you order it direct um, um, through them. But over the past several years, the the deployment model, the the distribution model ha- has shifted, like I said, to 75% um, purchased through the pharmacy channel. So what you do is you go to your primary care physician, you get a prescription for a CGM and you go buy it at your pharmacy, just like you would buy your, uh, you know, your glucose testing strips um, and things like that. And, and you've seen, if you, you look at at the, you know, the, the business, you've seen a big ramp up in SGNA the past five years. SGNA has doubled in the past five years. They've built out the workforce uh, to go market to these primary care physicians. They were established in endocrinologists. These are the specialists that would treat someone with type one diabetes. But in order to get ready to capture this market opportunity in type two diabetics, they've they've shifted over to the pharmacy channel and significantly expanded their their sales force. So today and, and probably going forward uh, for the long term, the main the main place you're going to get uh, uh, these products are at your pharmacy. What are some of the product launches they have coming down the line this year? You mentioned uh, I forget the exact name, but I think it ended with a seven. And what are you expecting as a shareholder in 2023 as they try to continuously improve their glucose monitoring products? Yeah. So late 2022, their latest and greatest uh, model, the Dexcom G7, uh, was approved. And we're going to start start seeing that roll out um, in the U.S. Um, throughout this year. 2023. This is their biggest launch since 2018 when the G6 got approved. And it's another big step up uh, when it comes to the device. It's 60% smaller, so much lower profile for folks. Uh, the warm-up time goes from over an hour to 30 minutes. So as a as a as a patient, you're spending only 30 minutes without getting access to your, without kind of knowing uh, your glucose levels, those sorts of things. They've also integrated the sensor and transmitter. Previously, you had the sensor that would last uh, 10 days, and then the transmitter that would last a couple months. So you had to take one part out of out of the uh, you had to take the transmitter out of the sensor, throw the sensor away, and then put the transmitter in the new sensor. They've integrated all those things together to improve uh, uh, you know usability and make it easier to use for the customer. Really across the board, it's a better product, and they're expecting uh, to start scaling that up. Um, here in the in the U.S. in 2023, uh, at launch, it's going to have approval for for Medicare customers in the U.S. So, um, the throughout 2023, what we're going to see is is scaling up of of the G7. Um, now, as the as an impact of that, as we scale up those lines and you know get through some of the initial manufacturing uh, hurdles there, and also because you're running the G6 line at scale and ro- scaling up the G7, you're probably going to see gross margin come in a little bit um, in 2023 as compared to where it was in 2022. That's to be expected again because of the the scaling up uh, um, that, that the company is seeing. However. Um, the company expects over the next several years the G7 to be cheaper to produce than the G6, accretive to margins, um, and to uh, and to scale that on a, on a global basis. Um, another thing that we will continue to see in 2023 is is expansion internationally. Uh, in late 20 uh, 20 um, 
One, uh, I believe they launched Dexcom One, uh, which is targeted at markets um, outside the U.S. that have a little bit lower reimbursement model. And what Dexcom One is, is it's built on the G6 platform, this platform that's already at scale. And what you do is you use some software limitation magic to, to offer the same product um, at a little bit lower price point in some of these other markets. Think about the UK, Eastern Europe, and uh, at, they've been able to take market share um, in some of those markets. So I think you're going to continue to see faster growth in Europe than you'd see um, in the US. And then longer term, what they expect is to move that uh, Dexcom One platform as the G7 reaches scale. Um, they're going to switch that over from being based on the G6, based on the G7. And, and so what Dexcom One allows you to do is, is penetrate into markets um, that you haven't been able to reach uh, previously because of the reimbursement model, but but take advantage of the scale that you have um, with, with the G6 platform and now with the, with the G7. And lastly, the thing, uh, so, so A, Lots of growth in the U.S. The launch of the G7, the latest and greatest. B, growth overseas um, on the international side of things. And then C, I think you're going to see more integrations um, with with partners. Uh, I talked about that API where you're working with kind of third-party um, companies integrated with Garmin in 2021. They've integrated with a number of other companies as well. And that's starting to kind of dip their toe into the, the kind of glycemic health side uh, of the business. So ultra- Long-term, Dexcom sees opportunities not just in the kind of traditional, you know, folks that have diabetes or are getting ready to have diabetes, but but folks that are that are you know heavily concerned about their their health and wellness that want to kind of see how their body responds to uh, to, to diet and exercise and those types of things. You have uh, uh, you know one of Dexcom's partners. There's a company called Levels that launched in uh, early this year, officially launched and is working on that health and wellness um, side of the business. Dexcom changed its mission statement away from diabetes to over to, to broader health. And so I think we'll see some of those kind of early steps into moving into, to broader health, um, in 23. I, I guess I probably should have asked this earlier, but is this, uh, how is this paid for? Are they, is it like a, are they paying on a monthly basis? Is it kind of a one front, one-time upfront cost, or I guess, is there like a razor and blades model? Yeah, it's it's a razor and blade model uh, for the the typical patient is you know they're paying a copay with the vast majority of the uh, of the um, cost being borne by payors whether that's Medicare in the U.S. or various healthcare companies as I mentioned earlier <laughs> the big cost for diabetes is not in the management and treatment it's in the complications and so they can pay a heck of a lot of money uh, for for CGM and still come out ahead over the long term. And they do. So if you look at uh, what insurance companies are paying, you can look at hundreds of dollars a month uh, to, to, to pay for these sensors and, and, your, uh, and your CGM treatment. And yes, it's a razor and blade model. Uh, currently, it's, these are 10-day wear sensors. Every 10 days, you have to replace them. Dexcom is working towards a 15-day wear. We'll see where that, where that goes. Um, but every 10 days, you have to buy more from Dexcom. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... We'll maybe talk about more of the margins and stuff during the valuation section, which we'll get to if anyone's, in, you know, any of the listeners are out there. We have talked about product a lot on this episode. Uh, but one more thing before we move into that, kind of the last part, is the expansion beyond just this glucose monitoring system. I mean, they've become a huge company, $40 billion market cap, really off of this one product. Correct me if I'm wrong, if that's not the case. What is the potential to expand here, like you mentioned, into the glycemic stuff or even more beyond that to just health monitoring in general? And maybe, I guess we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. We don't want to ask too many questions to you. Yeah. Um, 
so listen, I think glucose monitoring is is the application, right? That is the technology for, for the most part. And I think that the big potential is we can reach, it becomes the standard of care for diabetic treatment. And you could potentially have among kind of health and fitness folks that are concerned about that. You know, you I guess ultra long term, you could see everybody wearing one of these to to keep track of, of your health. But you need to see the product get significantly cheaper over the long term uh, to see that happen. But but near term, I, the big opportunities are we're only at 55 to 60 percent penetration in the type one core portion of the market. And that's in the U.S. So I think you can you know, over the long term, we're going to see that that penetration head up close to 100 percent. If you look at the type two diabetic side of the market, the core um, kind of insulin intensive part, um, only one in four. Uh, uh, of those folks have CGM today. I think you're going to see adoption of that head up over the longer term. And then again, we're, we're seeing this expand into, into basal insulin uh, folks, folks who are just using less insulin intensive treatment. I, I think you'll see over the long term um, that penetration increase. Again, with the caveat there that 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 that, that right tail could be cut off if, if kind of we go via Nozempic and some of these um, some of these drugs kind of take some of the potential uh, uh, patients, but then also within diabetes, there's there's some significant opportunities. So gestational diabetes, diabetes among pregnant women, significant opportunity there. If you look at the hospital market, there's a lot of nurses in hospitals today pricking people's fingers uh, in the hospital room. Management thinks that can be over a billion dollar opportunity. And then on top of that, you've got whatever the potential health and wellness um, opportunity is. I, I think even if you just looked at the diabetes market alone, gestational diabetes, hospital, penetration in type one, penetration in type two, you can get a heck of a lot of growth. I think what what gets me excited about potential opportunities in health and wellness is that you can project growth five plus years out in the future. If you think the technology kind of continues getting cheaper and cheaper as you as you penetrate into these other other markets, you could see an ultra long term. Uh, kind of prospect where, um, you know, it's not just the diabetes customer that's wearing this. It, it, it's a person who's, you know, it's, it's the person who goes to CrossFit, right? If half the folks at CrossFit are wearing this, plus everybody that has diabetes, all of a sudden this market is is crazy huge. So I, I think the potential in health and wellness for me just says I can forecast hyper normal growth for a very, very long time, right? Just in, just in the kind of what we have line of sight to in the diabetes market, gives you incredibly strong growth. And, and I think you've got lots of runway even after that. Let's talk, I guess, about the uh, uh, actual management team of the company and, sure. and dig through the financials. Let's um, let's start, the, I guess, with the management team. Who are they? And then uh, what do you think of them? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the big one is Kevin Sayer. He's the CEO. He's been there since 2010. He's basically responsible for all the scaling of the company. He's the one that's kind of banging the drum in a significant way about the opportunities in health and wellness today. He wears the, the product as someone who doesn't have diabetes in order to kind of get some idea of, of where things are headed. But, you know, Kevin Sayer took over the company in 2010. Revenues were 40 million. Uh, 2022 revenues are 2.9 billion. Um, Cash flow positive. We're seeing expanding margins. I think gross margin is sixty five percent. That's their long term target. Um, he told you what he was going to do, and he did it. Um, so I, I, there's not a lot that I have to uh, to complain about when you look at the execution of the business and kind of again their uh, kind of the roadmap they have they have in front of them. But what he set out to do is we're going to be the technology leader and we're going to be the leader in ease of use in, in the market. And lo and behold, that's what they've done. And you know the results have been pretty good so far. I don't I don't see them likely to change soon. Yeah, I mean, looked. I looked at the stock price while we were talking earlier, and four thousand percent returns over a little less than two decades is pretty darn good. But let's talk about the business today. 
You recommended it back in October on the Motley Fool Canada service. How were you valuing it then? How are you valuing it, valuing it today? Why did you think it was an attractive investment then? And any sort of important numbers you think investors need to know about this company? Yeah. Well, the big thing in October was was that we had had the the Medicare and Medicaid rule change that would open up coverage to the basal insulin population, really massively increases um, uh, of the addressable market um, that they can go after. So, you know, if you look at um, if you look at today, um, their penetration relative to the potential coverable market um, in the U.S. is the lowest that it's ever been. Um, so there's lots of opportunity ahead of this company. And this is a company that's over the past 10 years compounded revenue at over 30%. Um, so I think they can kind of, that, that gives me confidence they can kind of continue growing. How do you value it? It's a very, very, very difficult company to value. I mean, if you look at the entire history of where it's been out in the market, it's been 10X sales or higher basically every step of the way um, with it, with a slight exception of the, of the 2018, 2019 period. And that was getting ready for the G6 launch. There was some concerns that Abbott, um, had gotten ahead of them on a, on the technology front. They had a no calibration um, CGM just a couple months before uh, Dexcom did. Um, but all that to say is, I think this company is going to be expensive at all times. And given with the given the um, given the uh, kind of the way the TAM is going and where where it's grown over the past five years, it's very difficult to put together a DCF where you're going to punch in the numbers necessary to get what you would get. So, I mean, just the last five years, which I've owned it for the past five years, there's no way I would have put into my DCF a 32% compound annual growth rate for revenue, but that's what they've they've given to you. So I think for these types of of companies, um, I maybe it's lazy, I don't know, but I fall back on the, uh, you know, I work at the Motley Fool, I fall back on the kind of David Gardner rule breaker approach. Um, so if we want to just run through and I've got another kind of uh, framework you can throw on top of that too. But if you want to run through the six signs of rule breaker, one, top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry. We talked about how Dexcom has been the technology leader in CGM for a long, long time. We're still only at about 50% penetration in the core market. And we just doubled uh, kind of the addressable market when it, in terms of coverage um, in the US. Sustainable advantage gained through business momentum, patent protection, visionary leadership, or inept competitors. The sustainable competitive advantage is they've been the technology leader for a decade plus. Um, and still, uh, as of as of October, continues to to kind of push the market forward uh, with their research. Strong past price appreciation. Brett just told you it's a forty x over ten years. That's pretty good. Um, good management, and smart backing. The folks that are running it today have scaled it all the way to this point and, and are kind of continuing to run the business today. Five strong consumer appeal. It has the highest. Uh, it has its higher, highest ever net promoter score. Ninety seven percent of customers. The G seven say it's easy to use. It's just well documented as the best on the market. Six grossly overvalued according to the financial media. Yes. It's 16 times sales. It's always been a, a 10x sales company. So another, um, so that's kind of the David Gardner framework. I think on top of that, um, I like to hang. Once you get to this point where it's grossly overvalued according to the financial media, um, uh, Bill Gurley wrote an article for Above the Crowd, I think it was back in 2011, called The Keys of the 10x Revenue Club. Um, kind of runs through another kind of uh, seven or eight kind of points to look for uh, for a company that has that type of valuation, whether it's justified. Um, First one, sustainable competitive advantage remote. We already talked about the kind of technology advantage 
that the company has. Network effects. I don't think Dexcom qualifies as a network effect business in the sense that every person that kind of gets added to the network, does it increase the overall value of the network? Maybe not. You maybe could squint at it and say that because of their work with API and kind of data integrations with other folks on the market, they're becoming more interconnected. They're building kind of the octopus tentacles um, across the market where if they get pulled out, you know, things start to break. Maybe there's something there. I don't think there's necessarily um, a strong network effect. Uh, the third one is the business revenue model high, uh, highly visible and predictable. Yes, these are government payors on a razor and blade model, um, where if you turn off the treatment, there could be kind of catastrophic um, impacts for you. So I, I think you have a very high predictable uh, 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 predictable revenue model. Is there customer lock-in? Yes, we talked about that earlier. Gross margin levels, long-term target is 65% gross margin. They have, they've expanded margin over the past several years. Marginal profitability. Yes, you just saw the company swing from from loss making to profitable over the past several years, and, and they're uh, they're um, uh, um, on a marginal. If you look over the past several years, it's a little bit lumpy. If you, based on um, kind of when you get R and D uh, expense recognition, but their marginal profitability has been very strong. Um, customer concentration is another thing to talk about. Yes, there's some concert, customer concentration when it comes to the payors, the insurance companies. Um, so there, there are there is some potential pressure from the insurance companies to squeeze price over time. But on the actual end user side, you could not get more um, more diverse when it comes to basically every um, individual patient. Um, the the second to last one is organic demand versus heavy dependence on marketing spend. They really haven't done significant marketing expense except for the past couple years. Uh, so the past two years in the Super Bowl, you've been able to see Nick Jonas talk about um, how he uses the Dexcom uh, a CGM. And that's really been, again, trying to push into this type two market. You, you've reached the point where um, there's a big enough market you can justify a Super Bowl ad. But historically, um, you haven't seen a heavy reliance on um, on advertising. And actually, even despite doubling SG&A um, over the past five years to build out that sales force to uh, sell to primary care physicians. You've seen SG&A as a percentage re revenue fall by 800 basis points or so. So, you know, not too bad when it comes to uh, to marketing expense. And then the last one he looks at is growth. Five-year revenue CAGR is 32%. Current guidance for this year is 15 to 20% revenue growth, um, adding a record number of new patients. And again, the, the addressable market increased 75%. So I think you run through kind of both of those kind of frameworks, um, I think you're checking off a lot of the qualitative things um, you look for. And the last thing I'll say is just if you want a number um, out there, I I don't really want to, I don't get comfortable if I'm paying like a sales multiple for a company. Um, and it's hard to get, you know, because Dexcom just swung to profitability, it's really hard to value it on an earnings multiple. You're really starting to, to see it scale up. I want to be able to at least write down for the next five years that my revenue growth rate is equal to or greater than the sales multiple that the company is trading at. Um, and I think you can do that for Dexcom. I think you can write down 15% sales growth for the next five years. So all those things get me to a point where, and I think they could surprise me to the upside there as well. And if you do, then, then and you get some, some strong performance um, where I can, am I excited to pay 16X sales for this company? Today, no, I would I would much rather get it at at eight x or whatever that you got it in in twenty eighteen. But I think given the opportunity ahead of the business that you know just just looking forward at the diabetes opportunity, you know you could you can easily look forward to, to doubling sales or more over the next five years. And if you think you can increase penetration in health and wellness or or increase penetration um, outside the U S, then, then lots of opportunities long term. I say currently. Uh, outside of the U.S., revenue is 25% um, of, of the business. They expect long-term that to reach 35%. Their long-term gross margin target, I think, is like 65 66% or so. Um, 
so if you if you work those numbers out and you want to do kind of mid-teens growth at those levels of margins and you want to extend that out at five plus years, then I think the stock can work from here. However, um, you know, if CGM fails to become standard of care for for all diabetics. If if you know these these um, uh, uh, new pills out on the market kind of cut off the right tail for for type two diabetes or or for whatever reason, uh, you know the product doesn't get cheap enough to penetrate as deep as it would need to 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 get that type of uh, of growth. Then then you could have a tough time, right? I mean, you could double sales, um, you know, or double sales and, and earnings over the next. Five years, and if you if you see the um, the sales multiple come back down to eight, nine, ten times sales, then you could have a you could have a tough time. So you know there is certainly risk uh, of margin contraction, but I think when compared against the the opportunity for for growth and really extended durable growth, um, you know I'm comfortable owning it today. I don't think anybody. Uh, I think it'd be very very difficult to put the numbers into a DCF um, to kind of get the results the company has given that given to you in the past, um, and I think it's going to be difficult. To forecast what the company is going to deliver going forward, does that make sense? Yeah, yes, actually. Does. And uh, one quick follow-up on ballpark profit margins. You think they could get if they stopped investing for growth, say, or free cash flow margins? Is it twenty-five percent, thirty percent, thirty-five percent? What are your thoughts? Um, and obviously, you know, this isn't an exact science. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would look at you know the numbers that we got to, um, you know, in twenty. I don't know, maybe 20 or 21. You saw margins come in a little bit um, last year as the G7 got ready to got ready to scale, but they, they really started showing you some of what the company uh, um, could produce with the G6 at kind of maturity. Um, so, uh, you know, I would look at those at, at those numbers, um, but I think the company is going to be more efficient five years from now um, than it is today. Um, we are they are free cash flow positive today, net even net of stock based comp. Now it's much less than a one percent uh, um, free cash flow yield, but I think you're going to see stock based comp stay flat, and I think you're going to can see stay flat to to kind of modest increases, and I think you're gonna you're gonna see kind of revenue earnings those types of things follow at mid teens or higher. Okay, last question, and the one we always try to exit with is the pre mortem. How could basically the, the inverse of your thesis? How could things go poorly for Dexcom for an investment in Dexcom over the next say five years? Yeah, so I think on the competitive side, it's it's CGM fails to become standard of care in, in diabetes in new markets, and that's uh, you know a couple reasons. Either these GLP drugs kind of become the standard of care in in, in place of uh, uh, of CGM, or maybe there's some new entrant. Right? Maybe Apple really does have it in the bag, and then they come. Take over the market that could that could kind of impact um, um, the growth rate and what you need, and and then that obviously would impact the business. Um, I mentioned earlier, multiple contraction could kill returns. You could double, like I said, you could double sales revenue, those sorts of things. If the market decides to to bring the sales multiple or the valuation multiple in, you know, closer to that 10x sales range, you, that that's going to be a big headwind um, to performance. And then lastly, I would say, you know, just operationally. Um, if Dexcom hits a wall when it comes to kind of product improvements and and price reduction. So in order, the way the company has succeeded over the past five, 10 years is, is for each successive iteration of the product to get more accurate, easier to use, less inconvenient for a customer when it comes to size, that sort of thing, um, while also getting cheaper to manufacture. And they've done that. They did that, you know, from the G4 to the G5 to the G6. They're trying to do that again. Uh, with the G7, they expect to do that, and that's enabled the market to, you know, b- b- penetrate into less and less 
intensive insulin populations from the type one folks that, gosh, if they don't have insulin, they're not going to make it through next week to now we're moving into folks that you know, may not even have type two diabetes yet, but we're trying to mitigate um, uh, mitigate that that developing. You need to continue to see the cost of the product get lower and lower and lower over time in order to, to penetrate these markets. So far, they have successfully been able to do that. Again, the, the cost has gotten lower, the margins have gone up um, even despite that. Um, but you need to continue to see that happen. If they don't, if they hit a wall there, um, then you're just, the margins are not going to materialize um, to make the stock work. All right. I think that's all the questions we have. Nick, appreciate the time. Um, I guess for people that are new to the show or listeners that are new to the show and haven't heard your voice before, what's the uh, best place to follow you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Investing Nick if you're interested in kind of... Uh, you know, uh, my, my investing ideas and the stocks that we recommend, you know, join any of the Motley Fool Canada services. As I mentioned back in October, we recommended Dexcom in um, that service. Again, that was right before uh, uh, the earnings report where Dexcom started talking about some of these these rule changes. So we're pleased with that. Um, you can you can go check out uh, Motley Fool Canada and, uh, and find my work there. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it. We want to throw a disclosure on this uh, as always. So Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again, Nick, for coming on the show and we will see you all next time. Okay, I am welcomed by the founder of our exclusive sponsor, Stratosphere.io, uh, Braden Dennis. Braden, welcome. I wanted to basically give listeners that are interested in Stratosphere more context around what the platform is. So let's start there. What is Stratosphere? And then why did you decide to start it? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to be sponsoring the podcast as, as a listener myself. I like the deep dives. I like the different guests, the different perspectives on uh, some interesting companies. So I think it's a good concept for a podcast, which is kind of what led me down to making Stratosphere in the first place, which was I was making content online and frustrated with the tools that were available to me. So I started building uh, a very scrappy version of the product just for free, just to figure out like, how can I overlay 10 years of financial side by side up to 35 years we have now? And how can I actually build out a proper database of, of company KPIs that are not just revenue, but like, if you're looking at like Costco, like how many warehouses do they have? How many paid members are, are in like our Costco members? Or, you know, if I want to do a comp against like the streaming, like how many Netflix subs versus uh, HBO plus discovery plus, no Disney plus, like how do I build out proper comps of those? Because those are the metrics that actually move the business. Those are the ones that actually move the needle more than any like gap financial metric you'll find. And so it started off as just purely a passion project. And, and I figured let's just make the leap into entrepreneurship and uh, see where it goes. And, you know, it brought, brought us here today. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it, it is the stuff that you can't find anywhere else, at least not in a, I mean, you could find it page by page and on their financials. Exactly. But you can go through 35 uh, PDF filings and find it, be, be my guest. And, and, that, and that's basically what we did for a long time. So what do 
I guess maybe describe the pricing model so people know, sure. but uh, you're going to say it, it, there's, there's a free platform. What do free users get? Yeah. Good, good thing. Cause our, our mission was to always build a free platform. And, and so we really kept true to our mission and give like an amazing platform for free, which gives you 10 years of financial statements on 40,000 global security. So we don't list you just to us securities. It's on global stocks. We give you a watch list, the screener comparisons on competitors, fundamental charting up to 10 years, filings, transcripts. You can look at the press releases right inside the app, news, ETFs, funds, super investors, hedge fund letters, investor holdings, and financial calendars. Those are all the features you'll get on uh, on the free tier. Now, if on, on the, the middle tier, the personal tier, you're going to unlock up to 35 years of financials and just kind of like nice to have, like quality of life, like notifications being built in. Um, price targets for building models, uh, like business owner mode where you can hide prices, like kind of like just that next level for, for individual investors who want to level up. And then the the top tier is for like investment teams and professionals who want to unlock that KPI data and request KPI coverage as well. Like a firm will be like, here, we want these 10 names in our coverage and in your coverage. And then you'll have basically our, our entire universe that we're looking at, which is great, right? Because like earnings season comes around and we have it updated within 15 minutes when Netflix comes out with their net subscriber ads, like it's right there in one place, uh, especially easy to handle around the, the peak of earnings season that, that matters a lot for these people. And so we have a, a premium tier for that as well. That's the, that's the three plans that are available today. And now a perfect time to shameless plug our code. If you use CCM, you get 15% off any of the paid plans, but I think that covers it pretty well. Uh, if you're interested, please go ahead and check out stratosphere.io. We'll, we'll have a link in the uh, description as well, but uh, thank you, Brayden, for joining us. Ryan, keep it up. I really like what you and Brett are doing and uh, I'll be listening along.